You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. Yeah, it's a mouthful. For more great shows like the one you're about to enjoy, visit electronicmediacollective.com. And now, our feature presentation. This is Randy. What? Who's that? Hey, everybody. Welcome to our in-between season special in which I'm joined by a uh, potato sack mask wearing maniac by the name of Paul Moose Harder. What's going on, Paul? Not too much. I'm doing pretty good. Do you like do you like that introduction? Is that you, actually yeah? Is that how you want potato sex? One of my favorites. <laughs> All right, so listener, if you listen to the Grolix podcast or our weekly live show, uh, you've probably heard Paul recently. But Paul, uh, yeah, so you've been joining us on the Grolix Nights live series for a few weeks now, but you're a big horror movie fan. In fact, you suggested this very episode that we're recording right now. I did. Unfortunately, Jasper is not on this episode. He, he, he's busy. He's working. Or he's hiding under his bed. Or he's hiding from Jason. Maybe he got through two of these movies and was just too scared. He's like, no, we can't talk about him or he'll come. Anyway, no, Jasper is not here, which is slightly unfortunate because, uh, the movies we're going to talk about, I picked because of him. I don't believe he's seen any of the super early Friday the 13th movies. So I was like, well, then we got to do Friday the 13th. We have to do part two. But if we're going to do more than one, we got to go all the way to part three so you can at least get to the hockey mask. So we will be discussing Friday the 13th from 1980, Friday the 13th part two from 1981, and Friday the 13th part three from 1982. Man, they really sawed this thing up for a while. Say the Friday the 13th, what could be a standalone trilogy. Yeah. The emergence of Jason. It totally is. And the next three revolve around a character. So that's kind of like the second trilogy in the series. Or is it just the next two? It doesn't matter. So we're not going to do a deep dive into each movie like we do, for better or worse, on a normal episode. Uh, Because this is not a normal episode. This is all, obviously, all these movies are in the Friday the 13th cinematic universe. And there's so many of them. Oh, there are so many. Uh, But we are going to talk about each one briefly and then just talk about the series, specifically this first trilogy, but also, you know, if we want to discuss the series as a whole, we can too. Because me and Paul each, I'm sure, have watched all of them. And I've watched them all multiple times recently. (laughs) Multiple times recently. Yeah. Okay. Well, you're the right man on this to have on this show. So, all right, Friday the 13th from 1980. Overview. Camp counselors are stalked and murdered by an unknown assailant while trying to reopen a summer camp that was the site of a child's drowning. This was written by Victor Miller and directed by Sean S. Cunningham and uh, stars Betsy Palmer, Adrian King, and other people. That's a premise that reaches out and grabs you. You're just like, oh, a kid drowned. (laughs) <laughs> yeah cool. it's it sounds awesome doesn't it up it's an uplifting tale it's you could almost say this is like it's like a family show it's a it's about a family it's a dysfunctional family we don't have to dive into this because this is a topic that i am not uh equipped to really cover at length but sean s cunningham and victor miller specifically they are the reasons we will not be getting any Friday the 13th properties for many years now uh, because of the lawsuit. It is tied up in lawsuit till at least 2021. But tune in in the future and we will cover it. Maybe. Maybe. It's worth... It's it's interesting it worth to me. Into. Yeah, it's interesting to me and... Because the ramifications are paramount. No joke. Who would have thought? Friday the 13th, right? It could have a major impact on the entire 
film industry. Yeah. And beyond that, potentially, I don't see it really reaching out outside of the film industry. If it even goes that far, potentially unions in the U S as well as what, like it comes down to the definition of employment and freelancer, like contractor. It's crazy. Anyway. Yeah. It's it's nuts. The original Friday the 13th, spoilers, spoilers. If you know, this movie came out before I was born, but if you don't know, I'm going to spoil this movie for you. If you've been living under a rock. Since 1979, you haven't watched any new movies. Jason is not the killer in this movie. It's uh, Pamela Voorhees, his mom. That's the twist. And so- Nope, the lake, not Jason. Jason is in it. Specifically, he's in the lake. <laughs> <laughs> So, Paul, what do you think of this movie? You like this? Is this a, is, you like this thing? Is this a good for you? <laughs> I like the setup. Being who I am, the, the setup of, you know, the, the, the kid being bullied, you kind of relate to Jason a little bit. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, oh, you feel bad for him. They, you know, kind of interesting. They don't really dive into that much. I mean, you get the idea of it, but. Yeah, and then here comes Mystery Killer. You, you find out it's. Strong arm Pamela. Strong arm Pamela. That's what I'm calling her. Strong arm Pamela. Because for as old as that woman is, she should not have been that strong. I love that. So most of the movie, you know, that's how they hide the the big twist is anytime the killer is in the scene, for the most part, you go POV. Like an Italian uh, giallo. I think it's giallo. Italian giallo movie. Or I'm saying that weird. Doesn't matter. So it's definitely got that thing going on. So you don't see them. However, when it's POV, she is the most deadly, efficient killer. It just murders everyone without a fight. As soon as the camera can see her, she has a real hard time. That The final girl in this puts up quite a fight. And I'm like, how did you... How are you having so much trouble with her? Like, did you just like... I'm going to take my time because with this she one. Didn't catch her off surprise? I guess. Yeah, I really like this. I, I I don't think it's a perfect movie. These aren't masterpieces. Like they only in my opinion, they only get to a certain level of quality. And I think, you know, this is classic. There's definitely some cheese. It's got it's got some questionable well, it's got acting. Its factor. Yeah. It's got some questionable acting. Uh the script there's some Pretty bad dialogue, but I think there's a lot of good stuff in it too. For example, when it does get down to the last girl and she's trying to hide in that, in the cabin and go from room to room, but she's trying to wedge herself between the wall and the bookcase. I, I, I think she does a pretty good job there. And I think the scene overall conveys a good sense of dread and tension because in other movies, even other Friday the 13th movies, once you kind of get to that, don't get it. Yeah. Once you kind of get to that point, it doesn't have the same weight. I'll harp on this a lot for the first three. The camera choices in this one were phenomenal. Just, just the shot angles and the different choices they made for how they shot the movie were way above board. Yeah. I, I I feel like they're very competently made. (laughs) The one thing that really, like, in terms of, like, a stupid technical thing that drives me crazy every time in this movie. In fact, all the first three have very questionable lightning. This one drives me nuts because when it starts lightning uh, the first time, and it's it's Kevin Bacon. Yes, Kevin Bacon. His first movie. This movie unleashed Kevin Bacon into the world. It's like it birthed him. Anyway. <laughs> Him and the not final girl are outside talking when the storm rolls in. And I like the other movies do it too, but I love that. Like just, it's a downpour a lot of this movie and it, it's, that's a good atmosphere. But when it's rolling in and the lightning first starts and they're outside, it's not right. The light that flashes on them is not right. It's like a, it's like a light bulb. Like it's just, I mean, it's bright. But the color temperature is wrong, and it drives me crazy. <laughs> That's my main complaint, and it's so trivial, but it gets me every time. So we're nitpicking at that point. Yeah, but I have to mention it. 
Okay, so because these are slasher movies, I'm going to do a tradition that we started back when Jasper and I did the uh, Freddy versus Jason versus Alien versus Predator episode. Yes, listener, if you didn't catch that, man, you got to. So since this is a slasher movie, I have tallied up the kill count and nominated what I feel are the best kills, which I understand is a morbid thing, but that's what these movies are all about. Everybody has a favorite kill on one of these. Yep. So in terms of the killer's victims, Pamela Voorhees' kill count in this movie is nine. However, spoilers, spoilers, Pamela herself is also killed. So, or I'm sorry, strong arm Pamela. So the kill count is 10. Do you have a favorite kill? I ask like I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The uh, decap of uh, strong arm Pamela. Oh, it's so good. That's my top, top. That gets my top prize too. <laughs> For me, it's the, so she gets decapitated and most movies would then focus on the head rolling across the floor. Nope. This one doesn't care about her head. We're going to stare at her neck stump while her hand's chicken about for like, it's like 45 seconds. It's pretty it's, crazy. What are the rest of the nerves going to do? Yeah, it's, it, it, it's so surreal. It, it, it really is. And uh, I, I thought it's good. And I like the buildup to her decapitation. The other movies kind of mimic this to where it goes into that kind of choppy film slow-mo uh, and where the final girl gets the machete. But yeah, however, got to mention for me anyway, a second place, a runner up. Uh, if we're talking about the actual victims of in the movie, the Kevin Bacon throw arrow. I thought it was a pretty good makeup job. I noticed like I'm watching on this recent rewatch. It was a pretty good copy. I've seen this numerous times. I've seen it in the theater. But anyway, you can definitely tell where the neck prosthetic meets his head, which is clearly just stuck up through a hole in the pillow just because the skin color doesn't quite match. But I think it still looks pretty good. I'd say for for the age of the movie, and I would imagine the budget of the movie. Well, and I feel like the copy I watched, I think it was a pretty good copy. I don't know that it was uh, any fancy you know, remaster, but I feel like the original film, you probably wouldn't notice. It's one of no. those things where high definition really kind of brings out the little flaws. Well, and especially like the first couple times you're watching it, you wouldn't be looking forward to just be enamored by, Oh, arrow through the throat. That's awesome. You know, now it's, you've seen it so many times. It's, Oh, that's off. I feel like the ax in the face is pretty good too. There's an ax in the face yeah. later. It's pretty good. It surprises me every time. I'm like, Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's pretty decent makeup. Star, do you want to do a star rating on this? Star rating on the first Friday the 13th. Give it a three and a half. Yeah, me too. If this seems, listener, a little peek behind the curtain. If this seems like it's going smoother than normal, this isn't the first time we've recorded this episode. That's all I'm going to say about it. (laughs) I'm sorry, Paul. The first time we were just waking up. Now it's time to go to bed. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so... Moving on to Friday the 13th, part two from 1981. This is so funny because I don't know if a lot of people realize this, but most of the movies in the Friday the 13th franchise take place in the future because Friday the 13th, the first one took place in current day at the time, 1980. The second movie released just one year later takes place five years later. And I believe as you go through the series, there's, continues to be these time jumps so it is always placed years after the like when it actually comes out i always thought that's interesting and they say at some point it should have caught up with us i I think jason x they finally (laughs) they finally caught up no we'll Uh, we'll get to that (laughs) it's probably freddy versus jason right that's when they finally caught up and now it's back in the past it's one of those new metal movies yeah Ooh, this has a little bit more of an overview Five years after the horrible bloodbath at Camp Crystal Lake, it seems Jason Voorhees and his demented mother are in the past. Paul opens up a new... (laughs) Paul, you open up a new camp close to the infamous site, ignoring warnings to stay away. And a sexually charged... Yeah, I don't know what I was thinking. What were you thinking? 
Well, I know what you're thinking. It's this next one. And a sexually charged group of counselors follow. That's 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 why you open one of these things. Get it where you can get it. For the sexually charged group of counts, camp, camp counselors, including child psychologist Major Ginny. But Jason has been hiding out all this time, and now he's ready for revenge. This was directed by Steve Miner, screenplay by Ron Kurz, uh, and also worth mentioning featuring characters by Victor Miller. I'm going to stop doing the screenplay credits are going to get real confusing on part three. So I'm not going to not even do it when we get there. It becomes a laundry list. Yeah. No wonder this movie's tied up in, in lawsuits for years. This, this one's interesting. So it picks up with the final girl from the, from the first movie who she survived. She survived. Yes. She went crazy. A little bit. She went a little crazy. Not as crazy as one in the later movie, in the next movie we'll talk about. No. <laughs> she, she, she went cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. But, so we open with her. She's back for one scene, and then she gets ice-picked through the temple. Okay, so I find this interesting. First off, I don't know if it was like, let's hurry up and get as much of this done in one take as we can. We only have her for a day, or what the deal was, but... After we get a pretty extensive recap of the end of the first movie in a dream sequence, we then like there's like a two almost three minute long one shot one -er, as it the camera follows her around her apartment. She's on the phone talking to her mom. She's brushing her teeth. She's looking at her artwork, which was interesting artwork anyway. And and basically we get kind of an extended tension sequence and then uh, a big dude shows up and ice picks her so she's done that's commitment on his part <laughs> he left i mean he left the lake and tracked her down that can't be easy <laughs> J- jason doesn't seem like okay first off it's the 80s there's no internet but he also doesn't seem like the kind that really knows how to do a lot of detective work doesn't really have access to to the information he might need to be able to track a person down where they live <laughs> But I'm uh, clearly I'm wrong. Idiot savant? Maybe. Yeah, sure. Sure, I'll buy that. And so basically we get a whole new cast of characters. And <laughs> I, I love the idea of... So the first one was like camp counselors setting up, getting ready for camp. This one, they're like, we're not even going to mess with the idea that there might be children here at some point. This guy's opened a camp counselor training facility. And I feel like if if Jason was smart, he wouldn't have killed the guy that opened the place. All he had to do is wait till a new batch came around next summer. He would have an endless supply of cam counselors, assuming the place didn't go out of business because it's, yeah, it's, counsel- it's camp counselor camp. It is camp counselor camp. It's like, hey, dude. So, Paul, what? Do, how do you feel about this one? Do you like this? How does this compare to the first one? What's your feelings? I like this one a little bit better. It dives... Yeah, it kind of dives a little bit more into the uh, mystique of Jason because they introduce him as, you know, oh, it's a myth. And then you get the mysterious off-screen killings. Then uh, eventually you get Potato Sack. It's worth mentioning, the first one leaves it in a way, of course, because the girl, and I'm sure the screenwriter who was not thrilled that they moved to Jason, the original screenwriter, he was not happy with that move. He liked his reverse psycho thing but it's really interesting that the first movie pretty much played it like for the most part jason's dead he's not around the final girl had this kind of delusion or something at the end but he's not alive or whatever a murder zombie it was his mother this one like it handles the transition over to jason really interesting to where it's all that stuff is still like that stuff happened and it became this legend. And you know what? Jason is still alive. He's been he's he's grown now because he's been out in the woods this whole time. And he saw strong arm Pamela get her head chopped off. Yeah, exactly. And you know, it messed him up. Well, so then it just runs with that. It's like, okay. That's what it took. His look in this is so interesting. And it, it blows my mind that it takes till the third movie before he gets his iconic look that everyone knows as Jason. The first two movies, he's either basically not in it or 
He looks like a hillbilly. He, he looks Appalachian. I like the mask. Like it's a potato sack mask, but it's the like it is creepy because it's a potato sack mask with the one eye hole. Maybe there's two. No, just one. Good, because that's so much better. It's so much creepier. It's like what? But it's really interesting. When he gets a makeover, it's a whole body. It's a full body makeover. Oh yeah, and then you know the, the build up throughout the whole movie to the Tamala Shrine, which brings the dysfunctional family full circle. That is, yeah, that is something I definitely have to credit this movie for. It goes a long way to building important aspects of the lore. I mean, between the initial setup of the first one, you know, and this one, that's the entirety of the Jason lore because it introduces the other thing that some people might think of when they think of Jason, if they're, you know, familiar with the series is, yeah, his mother, the decapitated head and the gnarly old sweater on the, like, uh, what, I don't know, his altar, I guess, whatever. (laughs) So yeah, like this, this movie goes a long way to filling out the lore and establishing Jason as a killer himself beyond just his mother, but still incorporating that into an important part. So yeah, we went from reverse psycho to I'm going to build a shrine to my dead mom. (laughs) Yeah. To, to, yeah, just psycho. Not really. I mean, it kind of is, but not so much. And it also, it also does the, you know, the, the final girl puts on the sweater and, uh, kind of plays to his weakness of, I don't know. I don't know what his weakness, delusion, I guess. His mommy issues? Yeah. Yeah. Plays to his mommy issues. It would have worked too. She would have just moved the head. Right. So I have beef with the, the ending of all these are, are weird, but I have beef with the end of this one because we get a final girl and guy in this one. And then it tries to, I expected it to do what the third one did. And we'll get to that when we talk about it. But it tries to do like its version of the end of the first one where, you know, uh, J- young Jason jumps out of the lake, lake and pulls final girl into the water. Instead, in this one, it's like they're safe and they got away and Jason's dead or injured. Uh, and he would have a gnarly injury. But instead, they're in a cabin and it's so like obvious what's about to happen. It's just the setup is so obvious. But Jason lurches through the window and grabs her and pulls her through the window. And I do like the sequence. And I prefer the look of Jason's face in this one over the next one because it's like half deformed and mutated and the other half is like bearded woodsman. (laughs) The one side of his face, he's not even that bad looking. The other side is where it becomes a bad scene. Um, Like he's... He's only half mutant. Yeah. They kind of abandon that for later ones. He's just... He's Jekyll and Hyde in one one body. But I do... I really like that design. I think it looks pretty cool. And that scene is creepy. Now, where my beef comes in is... Then it also does like the end of the first one where she gets pulled through the window. But then she wakes up screaming or whatever. And the she's being taken to an ambulance. She's the... She survived... We don't know where Paul went, and uh, according to part three, she was the sole survivor. So somehow Paul got killed, but we don't see any of that. That's my, that's my, I think, my major complaint about this one. There can be only one. Okay. Did you have any other thoughts on this one before we move to the kills? I liked the fact that he didn't have to be center stage in every scene. Mm-hmm. You get the off-scene kill and still get the presence of Jason, you know, and you can still get that. Oh my God, what's going on without, Oh look, here's a guy in, you know, potato sack killing everybody. And well, in future films, here's a guy in a hockey mask in every scene with a machete or some other implement of torture killing somebody. It's a nice throwback to the older, you know, like universal horror movies where you couldn't really have a lot of the gore and stuff on screen. I like that. When the movie leaves a little to the imagination, you can play with it more than when it lays it all out for you. Mm -hmm. No, you bring up a really good point. And obviously it's something I thought about with the first movie, but not so much with the second. But comparing the second to the third, the third is definitely much more. None of these are modern Jason, but, you know, much more. It goes full Jason. 
And if he's in the scene, you're going to see him in the scene. And you're right. This one, like you see him more than you see Pamela for the most part throughout the first one. But you don't see him all the time. There's still some mystery. Like you still don't really know what he looks like. And maybe they're going to do us a twist. And it's not Jason because they set up real hard that it's Jason. You say for a lot of times you get a foot or you get a hand Mm -hmm. or just half of a body. Yeah. And it's not till the end till you really start start to see his like, you know, grungy overalls and this big bulking figure and you're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, so how many people died? If we're gonna include Paul, because according to part three, Paul died or disappeared or whatever. Uh we're gonna say ten again. Again, it's like the first one, nine with a caveat. Yeah. So it didn't really up the kill count, which was surprising for one of these. I okay. So I know for I know we have the same pick for the best kill, or or do we? Yeah, I think we do. Uh, yeah, I, I think we had the same kill on all three of them. Oh, we did. Well, you know what? Because you can't argue with with the right answer, right? So for our pick on the best best murder, <laughs> it's always a, <laughs> it's not a sentence that it's just not right. Uh, Mark, who is the wheelchair guy who's always training. He's I'm training. I'm in training. For what? <laughs> she, she, one of the girls even says that. For what? Anyway. So his actual kill isn't that crazy. He gets he gets a, a hatchet to the face or the neck or the so I think he gets shoulder. him like right in the clavicle. Okay. Which is, uh, yeah, that's brutal. But it's not as super outlandish. But for me... What makes this super memorable is he, he's on the porch in a wheelchair. He takes the ha- he gets the hatchet and then starts rolling back and somehow rolls down the stairs off the porch, makes a turn and starts rolling down these long stair this long staircase and like it's a pretty good dummy because it looks like it has weight. Like it could have been a person in there, but I I don't know who would want to do that, that stuff. Just a turn, a hard. 90 degree turn. I mean, you don't see the turn. It's just, he's on the porch. He starts rolling back. I'll say, but yeah, if you remember the layout, yeah, any of the shots, it's a hard 90 degree turn. It makes no, and there's some distance. It makes no sense, but he ends up like, yeah, the it's bouncing down these stairs, the, the wheelchair. And it's so memorable because of that. And it's like, Whoa, what? And, and then the transition out is so weird because it just, it doesn't do this any other time, but it freeze frames and then does like a zoom in while like a fade to white. And it's like, what? And I feel like they did that because that's probably as much footage as they had of this dummy before the wheelchair flipped and it all like, <laughs> it all just went crazy. So that's my theory. I think they should have just let it go crazy. I'm, I'm, show I mean, me the they, dummy. They already derailed at that point. Show me the dummy. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's pretty good though. It, it's entertaining. I give part two with three stars, by the way. Yeah. All right. So moving on to Friday the 13th, part three from 1982, ah, the year I was born. Overview. An idyllic summer turns into a nightmare of unspeakable terror for yet another group of naive counselors. Wait, nah, mm, nope. That's not right. They're not counselors. Anyway. Ignoring Camp Crystal Lake's bloody legacy, one by one, they fall victim to the maniacal Jason who stalks them at every turn. That sounds... They were just friends going to the... Yeah. Getting together. Yeah, that's not... That's. I mean, that's just the... They're like, what was part three about? I don't remember. Just give it... Whatever. What is it? Friday the 13th? You know what all these are about. Just write up the generic... Teenagers. I mean, it's not, it's still, it doesn't matter. It doesn't affect the story at all, but it's no. basically like, so the first one was actually the camp at Camp Crystal Lake, Camp Blood. And the second one was around the corner, you know, camp, camp counselor camp somewhere else on the lake. And this is someone's house and barn off the same lake. So, you know, it's all the same lake, but they're not camp counselors. They're just hanging out, going to party. I really want to know the square footage of this lake. <laughs> right? You know, I mean, this has got to be a pretty big lake. This one was, oh, writers, we're not even going to get into it. But this was also, like the second one, 
directed by Steve Miner, who is a name very, he's very associated with a lot of these movies because he directed several of them. Do you think this movie was in 3D? <laughs> I'd love to see this movie reshot without the uh, eggs. There are so many out of place. It was forced at the red and blue 3D heyday. Yeah. I don't miss that. It's a thing where the gimmick interferes with the film itself. It does. And you could argue like, well, I mean, that's the movie. What, what you worried about them interfering with the, the art and the message of Friday the 13th part three, but it's every, it takes you out of it. Yeah. There's it's so each shot, every time it does it, it's so out of place where it's like, Oh yeah, that's right. Like it won't let you forget right before a kill or right when it's supposed to start to get tense. What we're talking about easy graphic listener. If you have like no idea what we mean is it, if there's an, if there's anything with, if there's an ax handle or a rake or not even a rake, uh, a pitchfork or anything with a handle, the handle is going to stick right into the camera lens to where it's out of focus. And they're going to cut back to that shot where the cam where the handles right up in your grill five times and or randomly. What's that? Is it or the yo-yo, the yo-yo. Oh, that might be one of the worst examples because it just keeps the cut to this guy doing the yo-yo at the camera over and over. It's like, no. Although there is one part where I appreciate it because of like, it resulted in just the cheesiest stuff. One of the kills is the J like the dude gets his head squeezed from the sides. Jason squishes his head and a super cheesy eyeball pops straight out. It goes like clearly guided on a wire right at the camera lens. It's like, what? It's actually my least favorite kill of the movie. Really? It's yeah. because it's cheesy. Yeah. Yeah. It is super cheesy. That's why it amuses me. Honestly, if it wasn't for the 3d eyeball thing, I'd probably rank re-rank it in the top three. Well, see, and that's one of the things where it's like the gimmick is to me, a con of this movie. Like it's, it, it does not, the movie does not benefit from these cheesy unnecessary shots. And sometimes it's so obviously painfully cheesy. That said, how, how do you feel about this movie? Well, you take away the gags, and it's a really good movie. Because you finally get Jason. The, the, the Jason we've all come to know and love. The, the hockey mask wearing, machete wielding, brute force of just this mass of killing machine Jason. I did fangirl a little bit when he first shows up. And also, his first kill with the mask and all that, I'm going to have to make a gif of it or something because, man, and I'm also going to have to censor what I'm about to say, but his body posture and his walk, so it's a harpoon shot. He shoots a girl in the eye with a harpoon gun. Then he just like drops the harpoon gun, almost like mic drop style, and then just walks away, and his body posture is like, gives no Jason gives no f**ks. It's the most right? like relaxed, just like, well, boom. Okay, that's done. I'm just going to walk over here now. Like it's, it's amazing to me. My general thoughts on this movie is rewatching it. About halfway through, I'm like, oh, man, this is definitely kind of like the lamest of the three. I was not really on board. You know, I mean, I was entertained, but it was... Are you not entertained? But... Once we get to a certain point, once it like ramps up, once the kills start happening, I was so on board on this movie. Like it's it's such a like flip flop because, you know, I'm interested in some of the stuff. They do some interesting things like these bikers showing up out there out of nowhere is like, oh, OK, what what, what what's going to happen here? But but I was still struggling with it. But then like once the kills hap- start happening and the, the the end sequence and the final girl in this is, a, you know. Super strong and capable. Yeah, I was totally on board. I, I appreciate this movie, and a lot of that appreciation comes from the last third of it or so. Well, yeah, so when they introduced the bikers, I was like, okay, where are we going with this? Jason's a bad guy. Why do we have bikers? And what does Jason have against bikers? <laughs> um, 
By the way, when that third biker pops up in the barn at the end of the movie, so we're talking like hours after they first got there. Like he's must have been knocked unconscious off somewhere in the barn for like seven hours. It kind of blew my mind. I was like, wait, what's that guy still doing there? He's like, you're still alive? He was just a momentary distraction for Jason, but I'm I'm like, is he going to save her? Oh, there went his hand. No, he's not saving anybody. Jason, (laughs) he puts the machete to him. You wake up, you run away. That scene is actually, we'll talk about the best, best kill. But that is actually one of the most bothersome, and most of it's off screen. You do get some super graphic, like he gets his hand cut off, and that's very graphic. Then he falls, and it's all off screen, and Jason goes over and takes the machete to him for several whacks. I didn't do a count. I should have. Jason sits there just whacks him over and over again for quite a while with this machete, and the sound is pretty grotesque. That He went like full Lizzie Borden on him. That might be one of the more bothersome kills in this one for me, because even though most of it's off screen, just because like it's a little too long, and you're like, yeah, it's just like Jason's just like, oh yeah, okay, I'm just gonna do this for a while. This is fun. It's like what? Ew. <laughs> it's creepy. It's a creepy kill. He's like, well, gotta give her time to run. So just gonna hack this guy up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is also the weird one where. They don't explicitly say, but they infer that Jason is a rapist. And I find that very odd because that doesn't seem like Jason's M.O. Because she was apparently... Oh, yeah. It's like, where did that come from? Well, she was... Like, why is there this connection there? I don't really get why that's even necessary because apparently, like a year prior to this movie, she was off in the woods and was attacked by this man, a deformed man. Of course, it was Jason. And she was fighting against him. And then she blacks out and doesn't remember anything and woke up at her parents' house. And her parents never said anything about it. Um, what? I've been on the fence about that. Was it, he's a rapist? Or is it like every other survivor where it's, <laughs> she got away and... You know, this is a small town. We just don't talk about Jason because we don't want you to, have, you know, think about that. Maybe. I guess. Is that what it is? Also, so is that the secret to a surviving Jason? Just be alone? <laughs> be alone. Don't be with anybody or else there's a chance that you're one of the ones that dies. But if there's only one person, you just fight him for a while until you go delusional and then you're fine. I say you go crazy. He gets tired. <laughs> Maybe he goes to sleep for a while after he takes an axe to the face. He'll be back. He'll sleep it off. The end of this one plays it like he's dead. So this is the one where he gets the axe to the face, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, he gets an axe to the face or the head or whatever. See, he gets that infamous cut. He gets that wedge in his uh, mask. Yes. Movies. See, this one goes a little ways. Like, this one further enforces the him as a you know, a murder zombie kind of, he can't be killed. Although it does act like it killed him because she hangs him from the barn. She ties a rope around his neck and he boots him out the, the barn top loft and he hangs. And then, uh, but then he's fine. Like she, he waits for her to open the door and pulls himself back up. He does it very coolly too. He just uh, pulls him off. And just very matter of fact, he's like, you can't hang me. This is another thing. Why all your friends have been murdered. Uh, you had a like just a nightmare of a night. Hop in the boat and go sleep in the lake for a while. <laughs> and so this one did the ending that I expected for them to do in the second one. It's the reversal where, you know, so she killed Jason. So, of course, Jason's dead mother hops out of the water and pulls her under. See, here comes mommy. But we don't get the, uh, I don't believe we get the everything's kind of okay no we do what am i thinking because she goes completely wacko (laughs) yeah is that the correct slang for it (laughs) wacko i say she goes way off the rockers the epitome of they're coming to take me away ha that's exactly it like it is that kind of performance a little bit and that's it that's that's the end of the, the first trilogy i guess you could say 
Okay, kill count. 12, possibly 13, depending on how far along the character Debbie was in your definition of when life begins. So, because she was pregnant, she was not showing, but she said there's like two lines where she says she's pregnant. So 12, maybe 13. Now this, oh God, this is the top, ki- the, the, the best murder in this one is magnificent in my opinion. Yes. Hands down. It's Andy. Uh, it really was hands down. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Unintentional pun. Because why is that? funny because Andy was doing a handstand walking through the hallway when he got macheted split in two by machete more or less first off the idea of it is so bothersome it's like oh god but also the execution that is another thing that I feel like was probably a 3d gimmick shot but it actually worked because it's such a weird camera angle because for the actual hit when Jason brings the machete down on him we cut to what would actually be under the floor. So it's one of those shots where technically the camera is like in the floor and you're basically looking at like the actors on like glass or, you know, a clear surface. So you're looking up at him as this happens. And like the blood spray out is just kind of crazy and it's such a quick shot, but it's very bizarre. And I appreciate that. But also my runner up kill isn't even for the kill itself, but the Debbie scene is she gets, whatever she gets a machete through the back, like through a hammock, but she's in a hammock reading a Fangoria magazine. There's a nod to Tom Savini in it. And uh, then there's blood dripping. She looks up and we see uh, the corpse of split Andy. And it is, it is gruesome. Like it is a very bothersome image and so i appreciate the fangoria not like that scene is like we get it we get it guys we know why you're here we know why you're here so i appreciate that whole thing not just split andy split andy like pretzel yes this little nook he is the raptor yeah exactly pretzeled and it's oh it's so bizarre and gross i think that's the goriest I think that's the goriest image in these three movies. Yeah. How about star rating on this one? Where does this one sit with you? Mm. Three with the potential for a three and a half. I, I gave this one three. To be honest, like the first half or so, I'm like, this is, we're starting to dip down two and a half. If it doesn't pick up, mm, could dip down to two. But man, it really does pick up. And uh, by the time you get to the top of that hill and start that downhill run, it's. <laughs> You're going to full speed. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, they up the kill count. Uh, there's some pretty wild kills. The sex and nudity. Uh, not that, like, where's my sex and nudity? But, like, it's kind of toned down in this one, oddly enough, from the first two. And tasteful. Hey, everybody. Hey, I bet you're busy, so I'm going to make this quick. My name is Jesse. I'm an elementary art teacher, so usually what that means is that I push my classroom from room to room on an art cart. So yeah, I'm literally turning cartwheels. I'm also a martial arts instructor, so I'm also doing cartwheels in the dojo. I'm a Comic-Con vendor, a husband, a pet owner, an illustrator, a college night class instructor, a brother, a puppet enthusiast, an uncle, a YouTuber, I guess, uh, a son, and a podcaster, just to name a few. For me, the wheels are always turning. And in a world where more and more is being asked of us, it's enough to make your head spin. If you've felt overwhelmed and lost, well, so have I. And I don't claim to know the answers, but I'm happy to look things up. So join me at cartwheelspodcast.com for the latest episodes of the Turning Cartwheels Podcast. I'd really appreciate it. We covered these pretty well, so we don't have to spend a whole lot of time talking about them collectively. I do want to say something I forgot to mention about part two is... There's characters that are there for a couple scenes and then not like there's the black kid. I don't know what his name was or who he was, but that goes to prove there's at least one 80 slasher movie where that has a black guy 
and he's not the first to die. In fact, he doesn't die. He just completely disappears from the movie. <laughs> Black Kid didn't die first in uh, three either. Oh, you're right. The biker guy. Yeah. He hung around till the end. He was like the second to last. Oh, I know. He was the last to die. Now that I think about it. Yeah, rewatching these are interesting. The continuity is pretty solid given how nonsensical the ending of all three of them are. I don't hold these don't hold like as special of a spot in my in my horror heart uh, as as some other franchises, but USA and different channel like cable channels back in the day, Friday the thirteenth come around and they'd just be running like Friday the thirteenth movies nonstop. all day. And so I kind of love that. So like it does have a special, there's nostalgia there for me, but it seems like they were always running the later sequels. Uh, Jason takes Manhattan, which is not a good one. Let's say you got everything after five. Yeah. Like what's the, where's the original? Maybe they were too old. I, I don't know. These three movies are before the psychics come into it or the telepaths, I should say any telekinetic people isn't that is that the next one where the telekinetic girl comes into it maybe it's a later one there's no Corey feldman's yet oh so i was gonna say where does friday the 13th as a franchise sit with you compared to similar franchises nightmare on elm streets child play child's plays all that Mm -hmm. above child's play it's definitely my top three top three being Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, and the uh, Halloween franchise. Oh, the Halloween and franchise. They, they, they kind of bounce in between on rankings depending on where you get in the uh, franchise. Yeah. Oh, man, you throw the Halloween Halloween franchise in there. And for me, Halloween, even Halloween 3, and the most recent Halloween are all pretty excellent movies. In my opinion, I know people would disagree on some of those, but like Halloween's got higher highs for sure, I think, than the Friday the 13th movies. But Friday the 13th, for the most part, right from the get go, you kind of know what you're getting. So the lows don't feel as low. (laughs) And and maybe I'm wrong. (laughs) It's been a while since I rewatched some of these, but uh, the lows don't feel as low as the Halloween franchise goes because they also did the. Ridiculous. And it seems like about part four, they're like, we need to start making these like a trilogy. So there's always like a trilogy of movies that are connected in the middle of this ridiculously long franchise. I don't mind a Bad Friday the 13th movie because, like I said, I never really held any of these with extremely high regard. I like the first one a lot. It is 100%. I mean, it's got enough. It's got a lot of uniqueness and it is you know, established a lot of the slasher tropes that continued very predominant through the eighties, but it is essentially a copy of psycho. I mean, the score is a blatant copy of the psycho score. The story is like we said earlier, reverse psycho. And, you know, clearly Halloween was kind of a inspiration for it, uh, or an influence. Also, they had the title Friday the 13th long before they knew anything about what the movie was going to be. He had the title. The producer had the title, made a poster. This is the movie we're making. So something I've really been wanting to do, and I'm glad you mentioned Friday the 13th because it, doing this kind of set it up. I wish, again, I wish Jasper could have been here to talk about these, but at least I know he watched two of these three movies. He's watched the first two, I believe. Listener, season four is going to be all about horror. I hope that's what you wanted. If not, too bad. That's what I want. Uh, so, me too. Something I really want to do is uh, Jason X and Leprechaun in space. Whichever one he's in space. I, oh God! I, that will that would I season four is happening. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen the Leprechaun in space one. I've seen Lep in the Hood. It's all good, but uh, I, I've never. I don't think I've seen the Leprechaun in space one. Well, if you act now, they're all on Tubi. Oh, are they? That might have to yeah. be one of the early season four double features then. Let's say all the Leprechaun movies are on uh, Tubi right now. All right. 
listener, happy Friday the 13th. I'm going to try to get this out before Friday the 13th, but ideally, ideally, this is how you spend your Friday night. Not partying, not with loved ones. Or you could do both, but make them listen to this. <laughs> sure, they'll love you for that. And uh, yeah, happy Friday the 13th, everybody. Go watch uh, Go watch some slasher movies. Remember, no drinking, no drugs, no premarital sex. It's very important. Jason will come for you. And uh, Paul, thanks for joining us. Anytime. It was my pleasure. Do you have anywhere you want the listeners to go? Where, where can they find out more about you and some of the interesting things that you do? Because you do interesting things. You can find me on Facebook at Moose's Marvelous Woodburnings. You are looking for new or interesting artwork. Come check me out. We have wood for you. All right, everybody. As always, you know me. I'm Randy. Uh, you can find more of this show at GrawlixPodcast.com. It's G-R-A-W-L-I-X Podcast.com. Uh, you can find our sister show over there, the Grawlix Podcast, where you can hear myself and sometimes even Paul talk about other, uh, basically more movies. <laughs> We've been talking a lot of movies on Grawlix all around. And uh, follow Grawlix Cinematic Universe on Twitter at GCU Podcast. Same on Instagram. And whatever, share it. Share this with your friends. Tell us what you think. Uh, tell us what horror movies you want to see. Tweet us or f- jump into our Grawlix Podcast Facebook group. Just search Grawlix Podcast. You'll find it. Let us know what kind of horror movies you want us to cover because, man, of course, I've got a list of the classics I want to cover and then maybe not so classics in space. And, uh, yeah. But you people count, too. You people are important. That's why we do the show. Okay. <laughs> You people. (laughs) It's people. (laughs) All right. The secret ingredient is people. It is. That's a movie. That's a movie. There's (sighs) Jasper needs to be around for more of these because there's so many movies that I want to subject him to. Soylent Green isn't like something that you necessarily have to subject people to. It it is if they haven't seen it. It's a good movie. Whatever. Jasper is a a gun-owning American. <laughs> he, he's a gun guy. He'll he'll appreciate it because it's got what's his name? Charlton Heston. Charlton Heston. Yep. Just be like, Grandpap, Grandpappy Heston, from from my cold dead hands. For all you gun lovers out there, it's a gun to NRA reference. Prior <laughs> <laughs> from my cold dead hands. That's it. I'm going to fade out sometime during that conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Prior for my cold dead hands, fade to black. (laughs) Fade out, fade to black. (laughs) Come at me.